what, what do we we should you guys should or we should do an intro because i didn't know who was talking last time i listened we are joined this week by nico morales nico that's not your real name is it your name is nick why did you pretend you were called nico why exactly is it and is it for retweets and sympathy follows that you have nick as your instagram name and nico as your twitter name <laughs> my my full name is nick morales so there you go it's nick about Delph at left back and uh, is it something you think will translate to other midfielders like Sinchenko who played it yesterday? Well I I really like how the inverted fullback is working in this current Pep Guardiola sort of uh, Manchester City team. Obviously he's used inverted fullbacks before in different ways to get the best out of other players and put other players in really good positions. Uh, what I liked seeing sort of midweek with Zinchenko um, is that obviously he put him sort of at left back and Zinchenko at his previous club had sort of played as an attacking player, which was, you know, it's sort of a weird thing to see him at left back, but that's the cool thing about the positioning in Guardiola's t- side is that it's not really a, a traditional position and they're not going to be doing the same things as a normal left back does because basically the the three uh, players on each side of the formation the fullback the central midfielder and the forward sort of interchange positions in like sort of a triangle type of formation um, on the side of the opposition's defensive formation and they position themselves I guess uh, directly between the two banks of you know however many players they have and change positions I think it, you know, it, it opens up a lot of space for uh, those players to to run into the final third because through their movement and off ball movement and passing, one of them will end up with space into there. And I think it's a it's a really good position for him because I can give him time and space in the final third to make some decisions. He didn't take full advantage of that yesterday, but I think moving forward, using both him and Delph sort of rotationally since Mendy is out basically for the entire year is something that I'm going to be looking forward to. And I think it's probably good for his development at this stage to get as many positions as he can under under his belt. Uh, any theories as to why Delph didn't play left back last year when it was probably more desperate than it is now? Because I think the the goal of the formation was completely separate than it was this year. I think uh, last season he was sort of trying to commit to the idea of taking the athleticism out of the formation, if that makes sense any any sense at all. Um, because the the transition of the like offensive formation and them like supplanting themselves in the opposition's final third or I guess defensive half. Um, um, the transitional point was the midfield and it wasn't the fullback. This year it's the fullback. And I think the reason that he wanted to stick to that was because he didn't want to change system halfway through the year. He wanted to see how far he could make that idea go in some sense. Um, but this season, obviously, since so much of the formation is dependent on the mobility of the fullbacks, uh, I think he wants, he, you know, he'll he'll take a replacement where he can take a replacement. Whereas last year, you know, the pretty much what saved our season and allowed us to finish, you know, third was Yaya Toure and his ability to transition the the formation and keep possession so well, um, you know, dropping into the dropping between the center backs and then transitioning to midfield. So I think that's kind of why he, he wasn't used as a as a fullback early. Uh, how much of uh, City's improved performances or at least results this season would you put down to the counter press? 
I mean, it's obviously way more organized. And I think one of the things that I've been talking about more recently with different football people is like maximizing the space space between the not maximizing the space between the lines but maximizing the efficiency of space between the lines to increase the efficiency of a counter press or a pressing action um and i think you know like everything with manchester city since they have more mobile fullbacks they those spaces and those triangles and the distances covered by those players are just easier because they can hold a way higher line it can be more dynamic and it can be a little bit more fluid um which eases the pressure on the players that are pressing and it's the front line and it's the midfield line um and it was actually interesting listening to another statistical podcast talking about how you know liverpool's press has obviously changed a bunch uh and i think that's like one of the major differences because obviously city's enjoying a lot of success with their pressing actions right now between Liverpool and Manchester City is that, you know, all of the players are pressing really well because of this mobility and the change in the system, whereas Liverpool have kind of gone backwards and their forward line isn't as good as pressing uh, or as good at pressing anymore. I think partially because of the spaces, but also because of some specific tactical instruction and just, you know, the liver- the issues that Liverpool are facing are kind of down to putting way too much effort on or putting way too much pressure on the midfielders. And that's kind of what City did last year to some extent. There has been um, a lot of talk about uh, the demise of Liverpool's press this season, and a lot of it backed up by statistics. I don't really feel that, um, or I haven't been happy with any of the statistics used to measure pressing, uh, and I'm, I'm not convinced by sort of um, the understanding of what pressing is, how it works, and the different versions of it within the analytics community. Um, I wonder if anyone else echoes those thoughts. We, we've talked about this previously, but there's still a lot of people that are like either into the analytics world, the stats world, and then the other, the other half of the people that are like into the tactics part of the game. And then there's very few people that are like in the middle and that are able to understand both things and to make the connection. And if you don't have that, that's yep. what ends up happening. I agree with you there. Right. What stats are they using, though? Because I saw someone use a uh, number of possessions broken up before before the opposition yeah. made three passes. And I guess, yeah, because some teams have, I'd say Liverpool, and probably many teams have, like, this intense initial press, and then if that, you'd say, fails, if the other team plays out of it, then they drop in, they drop in, and they rely on other pressing triggers yeah. and other pressing traps. Yeah. So, say those possessions last longer than they do for someone else, because then, then those numbers are going to be skewed. But I don't think there is a perfect metric to... Uh, no, well, or anything close to it. For a start, we're talking about different things, and uh, there's there's quite a variation between what different teams are trying to do when they're um, chasing around after the ball out of position. Exactly, because you're like, I guess you you're saying pressing is one thing. Yeah, and it's a bit like saying defending is one thing and having a defending metric. Matt, I have a que- I have a question for Mads. So United have obviously been struggling lately. I haven't seen too much of them. I don't really watch that much of United because I just choose to watch other teams. I guess, I mean, what what do you put that down to? Well, first of all, it's probably overstated. I mean, first, like the first game, you'd say they've struggled for two games, right? Uh, the first game, they, I guess they missed. Mourinho went out in a typical Mourinho big game sense versus Liverpool. And 
definitely didn't do what he wanted the team to do. I mean, he put it down. Do you to, do you agree with the 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 narrative analysis? I guess that like United should be embarrassed of themselves by not attacking Liverpool a little bit more in that game. I mean, I don't necessarily support the fact that anyone should be embarrassed by anything. I mean, have you seen my fucking timeline? But <laughs> but if we're going away from that hypothetical and that, like, I don't know, line of questioning, uh, have they struggled? I mean, possibly. They had one bad game against Huddersfield. Like, that's just played bad game. Obviously, it was made look even worse by, I'd say, Jones coming off, because Lindelof could probably have prevented both goals and definitely the second. Um, I think he should have should have pushed up and intercepted the first ball as well, and because I think he had time to do that, but he didn't. But the game in question, I guess, if you're asking the question, have they struggled? Is Liverpool game, and I don't know if it's down to the team being bad in a way that's going to be sustained, as much as it's down to Mourinho missing completely that game. And I guess to try to quantify. What's what he missed on? I don't know. I'd have to rewatch the game probably a couple of times to to get it completely down. But they tried to play a counter game, like that's what Mourinho does in every big game. That's no secret. Like deep block counter, but they had an initial middle block which didn't work because the midfield. You'd say there was like I don't know a midfield three or three or four, and they like they got what I say, uh, pushed into a diamond, kind of, or dragged into a diamond by movement and just ball circulation. They got super narrow. They allowed early access to the half spaces, which is where Mourinho, no, not Mourinho, <laughs> Coutinho, Coutinho and Wijnaldum work, really. And uh, I think that's where they created most, most of their chances from. But basically it was just a, they didn't, they didn't set up to exploit the mistakes that Liverpool will invariably make. Uh, and that's what Mourinho intended to do, and that's what he always does. Like he's been quoted saying that the, in big games, the team that makes the fewest mistakes wins. And uh, and they didn't set up to capitalize from Liverpool Liverpool's mistakes at all. It, it was way too passive. Uh, when they first did get the ball, they didn't. They weren't in a position to counter. First of all, but they didn't engage players either. Uh, they tried to change it a bit in the first half, in the second half, going a bit less direct, trying to engage more players, but just turn into Mkhitaryan losing the ball during transitions or Lukaku being isolated and getting the ball with um, Matip or Lovren just easily being cleared away and or mostly even retain possession. So uh, I think it's way too early to say that they've struggled or say that they, they are struggling like currently. How, how, much, how much of an impact do you think the, the players missing in midfield have? Especially on this, these, these types of matches, like especially with Mourinho saying that he didn't have the players to do what he wanted to do players against Liverpool. Missing in midfield. Yeah, I mean, like you guys only had, you guys were missing Fellaini and Pogba, well, yeah, who would yeah, both and, be starters. And I suppose for that, that exact kind of game, which in which the tactic seemed to be get it to Pogba and he'll hold it up. There are three players at United who can do that, and they're trying to get Scott McTominay to do that uh, for some reason. Two of them are out. And they're the guys you just mentioned. So I guess Fel Fellaini, <clears throat> Fellaini would have been useful uh, for that reason. Pogba would have been useful because he's one of the best midfielders in the world. I still don't think United would have won that game. I mean, looking at everything like just eye test or XG or, I don't know, fucking common logic, uh, United should have lost that game. 
I was just going to say that, like, I just noticed that their next two matches are against Tottenham and then away at Chelsea. Yeah, but Chelsea so, suck. Yeah, Chelsea suck, but Mourinho's going to use the deep block strategy against both. Matt, so Matt, they're how five much, points how away. much of Mourinho's strategy is dependent on manipulating game state as opposed to tactical things in big games? All of it. <laughs> Actually, I mean, in big no. games, sure. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that they... Because I was going to talk about Chelsea and how they how they approached Chelsea two times, mm-hmm. actually, last year. Because they did the same in the Cup a couple weeks before the game where they won. How do they, how do they approach <clears throat> Tottenham in this form? Oh, they're definitely going to deep block the fuck out of Tottenham. But <laughs> So it's just going to be yeah. two, two teams receded into their own half saying, you touch the ball first. <laughs> No, I think I think Spurs will come out to play that one because they'll have to. I mean, I, Matt's probably better qualified, but he can just nod if he agrees. Uh, Tottenham, I don't necessarily know if it's the size of the team. Uh, I don't think it's going to be in United's case. It's more whether the team presses aggressively and well. And United don't really press the first line. They're, they're a middle block predominantly yeah. and even lower in certain games. So I don't think Spurs are going to be afraid to play the ball because that's not United aren't the type of team you should be afraid to play against. But yeah, I think I think the Chelsea game is going to be interesting because, as I was saying, um, United approached that one really interestingly last year, <clears throat> going like man to man all across the board. Except they had two up top playing zonally, cutting off lanes. Oh yeah, with the with the hero yeah, and Hazard. That yeah. But that's like was just it on one that part match? of it. I mean, they did the exact same thing with the rest of the midfield and also also with the uh, also with the uh, the wingers on uh, on Chelsea's wingers or wingbacks wingbacks. Yeah, but regard regardless of that, like it's still a couple of really hard matches back to back, and luckily between them you'll be able to rest players against Benfica at home because yeah, the UCL is settled. I have a question right for Nat. I have a I have a theory about Pochettino and this whole using a more defensive style of football. So I I don't know. Maybe Go it's on. too far fetched to to sort of extrapolate it this far, but obviously he hasn't been too keen on doing or being this defensive in seasons past against some of the bigger teams, and he's sort of come out to play and made some weirder decisions in some of the bigger games, um, and a lot of people maybe didn't understand why. Um, I think maybe it's because, obviously, Tottenham are in the the peculiar position of like being amongst the top four, being amongst you know the, even the top two for the majority of the season, and sort of being the, the closest to, to winning a title without actually winning one, but you know they don't necessarily have that much expectation uh, on themselves to do so um, maybe now more so than before but definitely not before and so maybe you know he was just forcing his team to try to be the better team I guess in possession in some of the bigger games in years past to advance you know the the how good his team is and how how he grew a lot of these young players by forcing them to you know play in a certain way in the bigger games and now that he feels that he has that sort of like we can be the team that comes out to play and destroy the little teams now that he feels like he has that sort of thing down he can he feels comfortable with being more defensive in some of the bigger games if the other team is going to allow it because he knows his team has that dynamic flexibility to to i guess perpetuate both tactical ideas uh i mean yeah i largely agree that i think there are other factors going in as well um but yeah, I think uh, he he. When you have um, uh, a a plan A that is as strong as it is, and, and that you believe in, and that you uh, view as your philosophy in uh, quotes that you can't see, um, 
then you you want to push that home as much as 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 much as you can, and in as many different contexts and circumstances, and expose your players to that. So. Um, Yes, and then once you've done that for a couple of years, you can just say, right, now okay. I just... I thought I was off it. off base with that, but I guess I was a little closer. There's other things. There's the fact that we're playing um, our home games at Wembley this season, um, which is an enormous pitch which uh, and a slow turf that seems to favour counter-attack teams. Is that actually true, that the pitch is bigger? Like, is that proven to be true? I thought it was... I thought it was mandated that it has to be within a like really small threshold. So... Uh, the FA rules are that pitches have to be uh, of a minimum size, which Wembley is, um, but White Hart Lane wasn't. And White Hart Lane wasn't because it's considerably older than the FA's rules over pitch size. So they can, you know, say well, pitches have to be this big. It's like, well, great, but there's like a stadium in a way. So you can't make White Hart Lane bigger. So there's a, a dramatic size. Uh, but I think Wembley is especially big, uh, even bigger than the minimum requirements. And there's also the long grass, soft pitch. My argument is, what I say is, like, there's no difference from La Liga to the Premier League as far as, like, stylistic difference. Like, one manager in one league. Oh, I, would, I, very, I oh, very much sorry, disagree right, no, no, no. Not even prepared to have this conversation. This oh, is Jesus. not a topic. Well, either yeah. way. That's insane. It's Tyler's brand. No, he's just wrong, man. All the players are foreign. All the managers are foreign. No, I, I definitely agree with that. But I think, you know, as Guardiola and other coaches have spoken about when they got to the Premier League, like... Yeah, it's not. I think it's not as overly stated as some people make it out to be, like the nuanced difference between leagues. But at the same time, many coaches have spoken about like the culture of football, regardless of where the coach is from, does eventually influence the style of play that the team has, regardless of the coach. And it it has continued to influence the Premier League and many other leagues. So I, got, I, I think I got is, two arguments for there that. Is One, how many English coaches are there left in the Premier League mm-hmm. out of the twenty? No, it's an honest no, yeah. question. How many I, are there? Yeah, but that, that's exactly but that's exactly what I said. That's exactly what I said is that it's doesn't it doesn't matter if the coaches are English or not. Yeah, you're right. The majority of the coaches in the Premier League that are actually making a difference and doing cool things and regardless, you know, the majority of the coaches in the Premier League are not from the Premier League, but the the style of football that the the sort of the fans demand and and the way that the leagues is is sort of played because of how managers have been known to succeed and the ones that have stayed in it and continue right. to perpetuate that style is still influenced by the footballing culture of England in the same way that Serie A influences the the specific footballing culture of that league and and La Liga has its own footballing culture all of these things mandated by the football culture. No, I get the nuance. Honestly, it's just like a, I, I hate reading like the tweets that are like, oh, this this player is physical. He'd do great in the Premier League. It's like, come on. That is honestly but, the worst yeah, yeah, fucking of course. shit to read. No, no, no. But That's the, just uh, bad analysis. No, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. The second thing I want to say is, because people always respond to me with, um, like when I say something that a manager has disputed before, they're like, oh, but a manager said it. So like you have no credibility against the manager. My thing with <laughs> yeah. that is 100% they know yeah. more than me and they're more experienced. But managers say dumb shit all the time. So, like, that just... Oh, for sure. Yeah, like... Guardiola contradicts himself every week and says things like Foden <laughs> a better performance than Messi and Conor's the greatest centre-back in the history of get the I game. Don't, I don't know why he did that the other day where he said he said some shit about the ball. Like, he should have just not said anything. The, the ball thing might have some truth. Yeah, I think, I think, I think if it was the... I know, but, like, you know that they're gonna, they're gonna come after him for that. Yo... 
honestly, I if you read enough of his quotes, I don't think he understands what the best ever means because he says it like every week for ridiculous things. I think it's just lost in translation. I'm getting a lot of pleasure out of pointing out every time Pochettino lies for some reason. <laughs> it's become this weird new hobby of mine. Klopp's press conferences are the best. How, how can you say it's not fast food? What do we? What is? What is the criteria for fast food? Because it doesn't have a drive-through. That's if it has a drive-through. Fast food, you fucking. <laughs> That's how it works. No, it's not. Tyler, do you think the fast bit comes from the cars that you drive there in? Is that what you think that means? If you have to go in, it's slow by nature. Right, but you therefore can... it's not fast food. <laughs> no, stop. This is considerably worse than your. There's no difference between the league and Premier League take. Guys, let's please talk about football or Nathan will go crazy on the edit. Now we're done. The podcast is over.